Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we systematically make our way through this book. As you do that, I want you to know that it is really hard to overemphasize the importance of character. You know, long after you and I are gone, folks are going to forget many of the things that we said, but they will not forget how we lived. The famous UCLA coach John Wooden won 10 national championships, man of great principle, walked with God, unashamed of identifying with Christ, he would always tell his players this, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. When you think of character, character is not built in a classroom. Character is forged and fashioned in the lab of life. It is It is formed in those difficulties and the everyday decisions and the challenges that you and I face. Certainly, we can learn much like in a classroom, reading a book, hearing sermons from the Bible. But I want you to know it's in the real world when we actually put these principles into play. That's where character is forged. You see, character reveals who we are, what we really believe, and what we value as evidence by how we live. And I want you to know that God has called his people into relationship with himself. You and I who know Jesus, he fully intends to put his character on display through his people. We're kingdom citizens, been adopted into his family. We've actually been given his spirit, his Holy Spirit into our life so that we will reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ, that his character will be put on display in our lives. Character is simply this. It's the combination of the convictions that you hold, the conduct that you display, and the choices that you make. And I want you to know that your character is on display. And that drives Christians to try to answer this profound question. It's one that we all have and we must answer. And that is just how is Christ-centered character developed? And that is why 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26 is such a foundational text. All of us who are really concerned about demonstrating and having the character of Christ, we're going to keep coming back to this passage because it actually tells us exactly what we need to know. It gives us the key factors that will determine our character. And the first one is this. Your character is going to be determined by the desires of your heart. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Now in a large house... They're not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And so here he gives the imagery, Paul writing in prison to Timothy, his protege, this pastor in Ephesus, and he says, I want you to think about a large house, a wealthy house. And he says, you know, in a house like this, well, you're going to have some vessels that are just used for very common use. They'll be made out of wood or earthenware. They're like They're clay. They've been fired up. And and so these would be used for, like, holding the trash, Um, pails that would be used for feeding animals, Uh, common vessels, maybe even like a a chamber pot. Don't want to get too graphic on that. But you know that there's just some vessels used for just very common, ordinary purposes. But on the other hand, though, in a large house, there are going to be some vessels. Why, they are, like the text says, they're going to be made of gold and silver. These are the vessels that you will cook in 
and you'll present your meals on, and you'll eat off of. And if you have some things of value and you want to display them, you'll put them in these kind of vessels. And so he's saying, I want you to consider these different types of vessels in a house. And then Paul drives home this point. So what kind of vessel will you be? Verse 21, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. What is your desire? If He says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, what are the things that he's talking about here? Well, always remember, identify meaning in context. He has been talking about the fact that you need to cleanse yourself from false doctrine, false teaching. Remember what we saw last week in verses 16 through 19? false teaching about the resurrection. He says, any false falsehood that's being propagated, doctrine that is not biblical, not true, you want to make sure that you cleanse yourself from it. And furthermore, you also want to cleanse yourself from all wickedness, evil behavior, sinful behavior. Because he says, if you cleanse yourself from these things, notice what he says, you will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You see, holiness fosters usefulness. You want to be prepared to serve the Lord in every good work? Let's, let me tell you where it all gets started. It gets started in your heart, a desire for holiness, to walk in his ways, to be cleansed, to live under the authority of the master. You see, when you and I became believers in Christ, we received him not just as the Savior from our sin, the one who died on our behalf. We recognize that he is the King of glory. He's the Lord God Almighty who was sacrificed on our behalf. And he rose from the dead. He is the absolute Lord, sovereign Lord of the universe. And you and I, we refer to him as master. He is the authority in our life. No longer, we once were self-centered and it was all about us. But after we came to Christ and God drew us to himself in the person and work of Jesus, why, we have a new master in our life. And life isn't about us so much as it is about him. And if you desire to be involved in his good work, the advancement of his kingdom, God's work in you and through you, why, notice what the text says. If anyone cleanses himself from these things. Do you desire to be cleansed, to know his purity, his holiness, the sweetness of fellowship with him? Well, if that's the case, then you need to go to the cleansor, Christ himself, as referred to like in the book of Isaiah, who will take away your sins, though they be like scarlet, and he will make you as white as snow. Because, you see, it is Christ who died on our behalf. It's his righteousness that was given to us. And you know, God never sees us in our sin, always in his son. He's made us clean positionally. We're cleansed of sin. But what he's talking about here is not positional truth, but functionally, how we function. Do you want to be used for God's holy purposes? If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are positionally absolutely cleansed. You're forgiven of sin. But God wants to accomplish his work in you and through you. 
And you're like, well, what does that look like? Well, this is where it gets started, verse 21. And you're involved in the process. It starts with your heart. If you cleanse yourself from these things, false teaching, wicked, sinful behavior. You see, it's kind of like this. Think of the bowl that you feed your dog out of, okay? Got that in your mind? Now, let's say we're going to use that bowl to start feeding you and your family, okay? So what would you do with that bowl? Would you just like, oh, Fido, you done with that? All right, kids, gather around. Would you, what would you do before you did, started feeding yourself and your family with that? Pretty sure, there we go. You're smart folks, right? You would wash that, right? And we're like vigorous. Are you kidding? Is there no other bowl? No, we're using this one. You would wash that. You'd probably, I mean, you'd scrub it like as hard as you could. And then you'd probably put it through the dishwasher. Like maybe like four times. Let's just run this over and over and over again, right? Why? Because we want to clean, right? Well, that same idea, God wants you clean. He, and it all gets started with your heart. You see, what we desire drives what we become. You see, character is a heart issue, and it starts with your heart. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So you want to know the factors, the key factors that determine our character? Well, it starts with this, the desires of your heart. But notice this, it also includes the pursuits of our lives. Look at verse 22. And he says, now flee from youthful lusts. Kind of have to stop right there. He says, run from it, flee, reject, uh, and reject these things. The Greek word for flee is fugo. It's where we get our word fugitive. What's a fugitive? Well, it's a person on the run. Man, they're like hightailing. They do not want to be caught. They're moving as far away as fast as possible, right? That's the word. That's how you and I have to approach lust. And when we hear this word, like, youthful lust, we're like, immediately we're thinking like, okay, sexual desire. We're all very familiar with that, but it's, it's actually much broader. It encompasses things like pride, the craving of wealth and power, greed, inordinate ambition, jealousy, envy, argumentative and being self-assertive. It's just this, this lust for, like, power and prestige and and to be really popular, and it, and it feeds this ego, and it's all about self. And he says, you need to flee these things. Because if you don't, why, you end up rather sullen. You lack peace, joy, happiness, contentment. You become impatient, dogmatic, argumentative, harsh, self-imposing. That's what happens when we don't actually flee these lusts. And they're, they're inherent to all of us. I mean, we all have the flesh, right? The question is, how do we respond when these lusts are kicking in? Drive and desire. It's, it's our response. And the text says, this is how you respond. You need to address it. You need to flee these matters. And you want to be careful about the spiritual toxins that you're ingesting. Do not take in a lot of poison into your life. And acting upon these lusts, it's just like drinking poison to your system. And you're wondering, like, why am I so sick? Well, what is your diet? And are you fleeing from the things that God says you need to break and make a hard break with these things? Every time they surface, 
you need to respond with, God, help me. And if you're like, whoa, what, what do I do? I need to tell you, you're in for the fight of your life if you want the character of God to be manifested in you. Like it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You want to flee from the things that disgrace and disfigure you. And so you wage a war. This, all, all this lust for power and greed and envy, sexual lust, that is all these things, if you start acting upon them, guess what happens? In your soul, you have a war. There is no peace, no contentment. You know that something's not right. It just gnaws at you. And sometimes you can't even handle living with yourself. That's the war in your soul, and that should tell you, likely I'm giving in to lust versus fleeing from them. And you're like, whoa, I can't believe we're talking about this this morning. That is me. What do I do? I'll tell you. Go to God. Talk with him. Confess your sin. He'll cleanse you. And then ask Christ to fill your life with his strength his peace, his joy, to see your identity in Christ. And I can assure you, God will help you. He's far more concerned about your holiness than probably you are, right? And that's why he's calling you, drawing you in. Let's not just be vessels used for just common use. He said, I want you to be used for holy purposes, every good work. And it's going to start with your heart. And so like it says in Romans 13, Verses 13 and 14. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. This is the ongoing putting on Christ, finding our identity, hope, security, joy in him. It's a fight for joy. It's a fight for holiness And it happens every time we just fix our eyes upon Jesus. But you see, we not only run from something, we are to run to something. So look at this text. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see, God just doesn't want us like sterile, like, okay, uh, and so much of like Christian thinking goes like this. We just need to stay away from all these bad and evil things. And, so, and that's all there is to it, right? I'm staying away from these things, wickedness, sin. But I'm, I'm just kind of remaining neutral. Staying away from sin, running away from it, that's only half the equation. You run from evil. You run to God. And as he's described, you want to be pursuing righteousness, uh, this has the idea of living rightly with God and with others. You, you handle yourself well. Righteousness, faith. Faith is taking God at his word. It's living with the confidence in God. You're pursuing faith. God, I trust you. I need you. I need you in this very minute. You're exercising faith and love. You're, you're asking God, fill me with a heart of your, a love for you. Taking time just to express a love and a devotion to God and to learn how to love others. You pursue these things. It's the way of life. You're a kingdom citizen. And then he also talks about peace, living in a harmonious relationship with God and with others. Friends, 
these, these pursuits, guess what? They become your character. This is who you are. You'll be known for these things. And that's what God intended. And so when you look at the key factors that develop your character, you'll find it's, it's all get started with the desires of your heart. Then there are the pursuits of your life. What are you really pursuing? But let me give you a third. And you find this also in verse 22. It's found in the company that we keep. Did you see how this verse ends? Verse 22, he says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Did you see that? You see, camaraderie is critical to the Christian life. If you want vibrancy in your walk with God, you cannot live in isolation. Oh, I know, you think like, ah, I don't need anybody, I'll do it on my own. Uh, the Christianity is just about me and God and it concerns no other. I want you to know that's not biblical Christianity. You and I are called to a personal faith in Christ, but at the same time, he calls us into community with one another. We need one another, we refer to as the church. So often we think of a church as a building, but actually the church is the body of Christ. And if you know Jesus, you are trusting him as Lord and Savior, you are a part of his body, and we need one another. And so following Jesus is not done in isolation. There is so much joy. There is so much character development that takes place when we do so together, where you actually have people that encourage that you're a person that can come alongside and offer comfort, offer counsel. You'll actually know who your real friends are when they'll even be willing to challenge you or even confront you if you're moving in the wrong direction or just flat out sinning. You can always know who your real friends are who are willing to do that. Like it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Right? You get a friend and say, hey, what I'm about to tell you, I know this is going to be hard to hear. And it's going to be challenging, but it's because I love you hey, what is going on here? You know you've got yourself a real friend. You see what the text is telling us here? Our character is going to be shaped by who we're running with. And you're like, whoa, that, that, that would require some friendships. Yeah, we all have acquaintances. But are you known? Do you have friends? I mean, really, friendships, meaningful relationships, man, there's just so much joy. So much power and encouragement. Just Life is just fuller when you have friendships. You're like, I'm not sure I have any friends. I don't even know how to go about friends. And you might be thinking of your age and like, is it too late for me? How do you even develop a friend? Let me tell you, it just, let's go back to the ABCs just to develop a friendship. And it's simply this. A is for ask good questions. Just, just ask some good questions. B is just be willing to share meaningful conversations and experiences. Just, just be willing to share. And then C is just care in ways that people can tell. Look them in the eye when we're talking. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. Smile. Do something nice. Say something nice. Just care in ways that people can tell. If you just do those, just those simple little ABCs, you'll have more friends than you know what to do with. Because people yearn and desire relationship. It doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You've been called into the kingdom of heaven, citizens of Christ, Christ's kingdom. 
And he wants you to manifest his character. And how does he form and fashion that? Why, look at the company that we keep. I am so very grateful for the friends that I've got that, that encourage me, motivate, challenge, inspire. I'm, I'm just far better being in the community of believers and being in the church and having Christian friends. It's like Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's like the blade of your life comes against the blade of another. You're sharpened. You're made stronger, smarter, faster. You're thinking better. It's because you're, you're, you're working with and people are investing in you. And you have things to share. And it's that life-on-life process. Friends, I want you to know the company that you keep, it's shaping your character. Who are your friends? Who are your friends? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. On the other hand, guess what? Good company, it promotes good morals. And so what you want to do is you want to develop friendships with people. Do you see what the text says? I, I don't want you to miss this. Your character's at stake. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, they got the heart just like you. Are they perfect? No, right? And I want you to know in friendships, you're going to step on each other's toes every once in a while, right? That's why the, we have the ability to forgive. We can love. We can extend grace. We need it. They need it. We can move forward, right? These things are very possible in Christ. In fact, they're necessary because, after all, the company that we keep, it shapes our character. Let me give you the final factor that we see here in this text here that will determine your character. It's the desires of your heart, the pursuits of our life, the company that we keep. But the fourth one is, it's just the way we treat people. And you'll find that in verses 23 through 26. Notice what he says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. So how do you treat people? Well, the first thing he says here is refuse to quarrel. Um, This is the word, by the way, that was used to refer to -to hand-to-hand combat, okay? You're just a fighter, right? And there are people like that. They got an agenda, they're trying to always work an issue, and they're just looking for their next victim. Like, (laughs) I want you to know, Paul is really clear how we treat people. We're just not going to be quarrelsome. We're going to exercise discernment. And if there is a person that is, uh, you know, a false teacher, one of their adherents, or just somebody that just likes to work an agenda, they always got this axe to grind. They're not asking sincere theological questions. They don't really want to know the truth. They don't really want to have a healthy discussion. No, they're trying to pin people against a wall. And Paul says, listen, refuse to be involved. By the way, maybe you are a little contentious by nature. And you're like, well, people just need to hear it directly. Well, maybe so. But why don't you ask yourself this? Is this helpful and beneficial to the kingdom? Uh, Does this build the body up or tear it down? You see, God is helping you exercise self-control. And if you've encountered someone that uh, likes to be quarrelsome, if you can't change the conversation, what you want to do is just politely excuse yourself. And I want you to like this principle here. Uh, I try to follow it. There are, there are always some people that like, like to spar, right? And they, they'd like to dra- draw you in, right? If we can't get to a healthy place, I just keep moving on because, like, frankly, I've got a lot more important things to do, and I don't want to be quarrelsome. Why? 
because the way I treat people is going to shape my character. And notice what else. The way we treat people, he says, remember who you serve. Look at this, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Did you see that? The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. By the way, who are you serving? If it's the Lord, why then you need to understand that you and I, we're his servants. That means that we have completely assigned all of our rights to him. He's our Lord. We're, we're interested in his agenda, his kingdom priorities, to live and to manifest the love and the likeness of Jesus. And he says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. You kind of get the idea that being quarrelsome is a pretty significant issue. And it is, and it's becoming worse. I was doing some reading, and I came across a Stanford psychiatrist, and his name is uh, Dr. Elias Abujadi. And um, he's written a book, maybe you've heard of it, Virtually You, The Dangerous Powers of the E-Personality. He's, he's a researcher, and he's done all this research. And let me just show you just a, a few excerpts. I think you'll find this to be rather startling. He argues that the time that we spend on the internet doesn't just cause us to have online egos. Listen to this. He says, it also changes our character, who we are, and how we relate to others. He says, we like to tell ourselves that we can move nimbly from the impersonal, mean-spirited internet world back to our real-world relationships. However, he argues, it isn't so easy to compartmentalize the two worlds. And he argues that this is why we see our society becoming so uncivil. You see, we just enter into another world. And, and I've, I've met folks that have taken on an alias, and they can tear up and shred people, and then they think they can just move back into the, the world with other real relationships, but then we can just go and maybe even use a pseudonym. I want you to know that is dangerous territory. And you think like, well, that's just how it is. And people think like, well, that's just how you do it on the internet, right? You let people have it, whether they know your name or not. You think you're changing things? Well, you're right. You're changing you. And if you're the Lord's bondservant, what does the text say? You should not be quarrelsome. Why? Because the way we treat people, well, actually, that's going to shape your character. And notice what else he says there at the end of verse 24. The way we treat people is that we're to respond to others with grace. So if we're not to be quarrelsome, because we're the Lord's bondser, what should we do? Well, here it is, verse 24, but be kind to all. This has the idea that of extending grace, love. I want you to know that kindness calms many heated people. And so, you, yeah, you got some people, they're kind of steamed up, pretty hot on the collar. They're really ready to grind their axe on a few folks, maybe even you. In God's strength, try kindness. After all, that's what he's calling for. He says, we're to be kind to all, able to teach. That doesn't mean that you just know everything there is to know, but that what you do know and biblical truth that you are familiar with, that you're able to pass it on in ways that it can be received. You are able to communicate. That's going to require that you are under God's control, but that you're able to teach in ways that people can receive it. And then he says, and also 
patient when wronged. Yikes. Who is patient when wrong? I mean, many of us struggle with patience, right? But patient when wrong? <laughs> right? That's going to put us on the very edge of our humanity, right? And God says, I want you to go my way, my strength. After all, it's my character on display. Patient when wrong. How are you doing with that, right? Well, that's going to be a real test. Let me encourage you, when you're wronged, and you're going to be, maybe you've been wronged even this week, how do you exercise patience? And, and that word patient literally means to face ill treatment without resentment. Go to Jesus. Jesus is our example. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, he says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You see, Jesus is our pattern when you are faced with situations when you're wronged. We can actually endure it and move forward with his patience, have his kindness. But I want you to know, Jesus not only gives us his pattern, but he even gives us his power. It's one thing to see it, like, okay, well, he's Jesus, and that's why he can do it. That's why he can respond this way. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Sound familiar? Words on the cross? He's even given us his Holy Spirit. His fruit, the fruit is, in part, his patience. God is so committed to our holiness He wants us to be like him. And furthermore, he says this, we're to be patient when wrong. And what do you do when you got someone who's got some sort of false doctrine? Uh, They're caught up in this. He says, verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Did you see that? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. We're, we're to be gentle. We're not like, you want to fight? I can fight. No. You might be able to fight, but we're God's people, right? We're going to start handling these situations God's way. And if you want to be involved in the difficult work of helping people who are believing things that are not true, they're going against the clear teaching of Scripture, I want you to know it's, it is like a trap. This is to require someone under God's control going God's way and this is how you do it. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy's a pastor. And you're going to encounter people that are clearly caught up and trapped by false teaching. He says, this is how you do it. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. And notice who's got to do the work. If perhaps God may grant them the repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You've departed from the truth. You're trapped. Why, it's God who's going to do the work. And so this really, if you're going to see a change like this, and it doesn't always happen, but if you're going to see that change, it's going to require two things. One, it's going to require a willing heart. You've got to be willing, but that other individual has to come to a place of willingness to go back to the truth. But it's also going to require the work of God. Only God can change a heart. And that is a hard lesson to learn. Because we think like, well, you just give them the right truth. You tell them, you show them, they should get it, right? No, they don't. Because God has to change the heart. 
And so he says, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. What is repentance? It's a heart of remorse that leads to a change of thinking, which leads to a change of direction. And God brings repentance, and only he can do it. After all, he had to do it in our lives, and he is even at work, even now, softening hearts. But some people, they just keep kind of going their way, and it's very difficult, and it's painful to see, and they can cause a lot of wreckage and destruction. Only God can change their heart. And so we must have his patience and waiting for him to do his work. And to give you even more insight as to what this looks like, look at verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, to do his will. And here he's saying they come to their senses. It means to return to sobriety or soberness. You see, they have a loss of judgment, a loss of self-control, and only God can bring about the change. And notice how he's describing this. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. One of the very popular ways of hunting was to use nets. And they would catch anything from birds to deer with using nets. And it's the same idea. Satan has these snares. And he can capture believers even with things that are not false. Now, it's not that Satan comes and owns them, possesses them. They're not demon-possessed. But Satan certainly can influence their thinking and even their behavior based on their thinking and how they're responding and reacting. And these are snares. And so they, what's required is that, they, that God brings repentance so that they will come to their senses. Wherever they're missing the mark, whether morally, ethically, biblically, only God. God can bring about this change. But he does use his people handling these matters with gentleness, with sobriety, with an understanding of the truth and a desire for people to know God's goodness and his ways. But only God does that. I'll give you something Richard Halverson, uh, he had been the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and he said this, use ideas like seeds not bullets. Use ideas, biblical truth, like seeds, not bullets. Doctrinal deception is the devil's trap, and it's widespread. And if you don't really know much about the Bible, and you don't really have sound doctrine, which I'm describing modern-day Christianity, there's going to be a lot of folks that are very susceptible to believing things that are not true. And it's happening even in churches that are like, you're kidding Are they actually promoting and talking about things like this in the midst of all this moral depravity and total confusion on issues of anything ranging from homosexuality to abortion? Like, what's going on here? This is what's going on. Snares, traps, they're caught up in it. What is going to be required are people of character, God's character, and they're going to be able to address these things. You see, character is simply this. It's the combination of the convictions you hold, the conduct you display, and the choices that you make. And so let me just tell you, like, how is character developed? I mean, we understand that people develop. When you look at musicians and athletes and people in their careers, do you see that they are always learning and training and learning more and gaining, you know, they make mistakes and they like, do lessons learned and they're always learning and growing. Or, you know, the same is true as a Christian. We're, we're growing and maturing and we're doing so in our character. 
So let me just kind of talk to you about this process of how characters develop. It has three elements to it. There is comprehension, convictions, and conduct. And so how it works is this. You have to develop an understanding of biblical truth, okay? So that means that as you read the Bible or you're studying a passage and you're really breaking down and trying to understand, you're hearing biblical sermons, messages about the scriptures. What this is doing is it's forming you an understanding of truth in your mind. But then once you develop an understanding of truth, then there are convictions. These are the beliefs, attitudes, and values that come from understanding God's truth. And so what you'll find is that as you read the Bible, you study it, you hear messages preached from the scriptures, you're going to find that your convictions are either going to be reinforced, challenged, or in some cases changed, like, whoa, you know, I've been believing the wrong things. And so convictions come anything about what the nature of God is, what is truth, what's holiness, is Jesus coming back, what happens when we die, what should we do with our money, how should we treat people, uh, morality, ethics, Well, God gives all of this in his word. And so you read, you study, you're informed, and then your convictions start matching what you know. But the final aspect of character development is what you do with what you know. It is your conduct. So it's not just that you have beliefs, but those beliefs then drive your behavior. And this shows up in your personal life, your family life, and in what you do at work or how you handle yourself at school and in your ministry. And so to take comprehension, division, conduct, you can put them in three character-building questions. Let me just give them to you. So this applies to anything you might want to know about, like how you do your work, your relationships, if you're married, how to thrive as a single, how to understand the moral mess that we're in and the unraveling in our society, what it, what's actually true. This is how you go about it. Let me give you a situation that we all, we all share in. Let's say someone has hurt you deeply, Okay? Every one of us has this experience, and it's making you bitter, and it's really affecting you. What do you do? Well, first question you ask is this, Lord, what is the wisdom that you've revealed in your word related to this subject or situation? This focuses on comprehension. So you start looking at passages that address the situation. Like, for instance, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all bitterness. Woo, there we go. And then he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So now you have comprehension. Like, well, this is what God calls for. This is truth. This is his way. Well, so then you ask this question, Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this situation or relationship? So now you understand the truth. Well, how do you apply, apply it in terms of your beliefs, your convictions? And the scriptures will lead you on this issue to say, well, you know, based on the study of scripture, my conviction is that forgiving this person who has hurt me will begin to free my heart from bitterness, allow me to experience and express grace, and it will honor the Lord who forgave me. So that's your conviction But character is the culmination of acting upon your convictions, your conduct. So the third question is just this. Lord, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to live this way? This focuses on conduct. And so by faith in Christ, you're going to release that individual from the debt that you think that they owe you. And you're just going to leave the matter with God. And every time it comes back up into your mind and your heart starts racing again, you go back to, but I have forgiven. 
This is my understanding of scripture. This is my conviction. And this is how I live. This is my conduct. Remember, friends, character is the combination of the convictions you hold, the conduct you display, and the choices that you make. And let let me just lead us in a time of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have been so clear in your word. Why you spell it out? We can see the importance of character and even how it's developed. And we see that you're calling us, calling us deeper into love with you and walking your ways. For someone who has never truly trusted you, would they just pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin and I want to know you intimately, real, genuine. I turn from my sin and I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior and the Lord of my life. And Lord, for all of us, we know that you're looking to fashion the character of Christ in our life. May you do so for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.